The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 72 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are looking at Avengers number 67, We Stand at Armageddon. This week's issue is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by Barry Windsor Smith, inks by George Klein, letters by Art Simic, and it comes to us in August of 1969. Starting off with our cover, we have a very bold cover. There's something about the contrasting colors, the, the light and the dark, that really make this cover pop. Now, I realize that is kind of the purpose of using contrasting colors, especially when you have this much contrast between the black and the yellow and the white, and even to an extent the silvery gray of Ultron. But I think this cover in particular does a better job than a couple of other covers we've seen lately. Going back three issues to Avengers number 64, where we had the two big gloved arms on the cover that also had a lot of contrast but to me it didn't pop as much maybe it's also the combination of the kirby crackle and the avengers in their throes of agony at the hands of ultron it's possible it's a combination of all of those things but this is a eye-popping attractive cover it makes me want to go up and at least pick it up maybe buy it also it looks like Ultron has a beer gut behind that Kirby crackle. The way his stomach is drawn and his chest plate is, I realize that's not really a thing, but you know, being familiar with what a beer gut looks like from personal experience, it really looks like Ultron has got a bit of a pot belly sitting behind that Kirby crackle, which just makes me kind of laugh. You know, Ultron gets home from a busy day of fighting the Avengers and plotting to take over the world, and he cracks open one too many, and after a few months of this, you know, he's let himself go a bit. So picking up from our last issue, this issue starts not inside Avengers Mansion, but just outside. Although interestingly enough, it's a very odd look for Avengers Mansion. At this point in time, there's not an overly consistent look for Avengers Mansion. Even though Avengers Mansion is based on the Frick Mansion, where now the Museum of the Frick Collection is housed, it doesn't really maintain that consistent look for quite some time. In this case, it looks like it's more of a midtown mansion sandwiched in between other buildings. But again, we start the issue outside of Avengers Mansion and we see a large explosion coming from the top of the building. And actually the police officer who is on scene, or at least nearby, actually describes it as a series of continual explosions. Now that is both impressive and horrifying, right? You see the one explosion happening as we open the issue and it looks like it's a pretty substantial, pretty violent explosion. So to think that that is one of a series of almost non-stop explosions coming from what we know is Ultron, that can't bode well for the Avengers. So now we cut back to the interior of Avengers Mansion and we see the Avengers facing off against Ultron. And again, we see Ultron has this new design where it looks like he's driving some kind of motorcycle from hell, some form of effectively rocket sled. Now, initially, when I looked at this panel, it looked like Ultron was riding this contraption. But if you take a closer look, and as you see throughout the rest of the issue, it is in fact 
Ultron's lower half. So Ultron has no legs. Now, I will admit this is kind of a cool design, but it also makes things a little bit difficult in the long run, especially when you think of things like, I don't know, doors. Trying to get in and out of various areas. You know, Ultron now has a fairly wide profile, so his ability to access places without just building up to ramming speed and smashing through walls might be a bit of a disadvantage. Again, in the long run. Now, again, Ultron being Ultron, I'm sure that he is perfectly capable of partially removing himself from it, building himself a set of legs, and then transitioning into a normal-ish body. But at least to start, this is a very bold statement, bold way to come into this fight. So as Ultron enters the fray, he's immediately confronted by Thor. And I realized that this is the first time... Thor is actually going up against Ultron because again, Thor, Iron Man, Captain America at this point are part-time members and Thor and Iron Man haven't been consistent members of the team for at this point about 50 issues. So Thor was never a part of the initial battles against Ultron. And the more I thought about this, the more I realized it's also worth noting that although the other Avengers faced off against Ultron, Vision is actually the only one who has defeated Ultron. The other Avengers were not a part of Ultron's defeat the last time that the Avengers faced off against him. And the time prior to that, Ultron ran away while the Avengers were finishing up the new Masters of Evil. So the Avengers track record against Ultron isn't all that great when you actually look at how things played out. But this being Silver Age Thor, he doesn't really think deeply about what's going on. He really just throws himself into the fray and launches Mjolnir at Ultron. Again, it's worth noting here, though, that Ultron is made now of adamantium. So, as Roy Thomas describes, the question is asked, what does happen, Thunder God, when that which may not be stopped strikes that which shall not be moved? Mjolnir being the thing that shall not be stopped, and Ultron's adamantium, that which shall not be moved. We see in a great full-page spread exactly what happens, where Thor and Goliath are hurled back by the force of these two coming together. For those who are familiar with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, this kind of reminds me of the original Avengers, and I'm thinking about this because I just watched it last night, where Thor hits Captain America's shield and just levels everything in about a hundred yard radius. It's that kind of blowback from the impact that is throwing these two rather powerful superheroes back. While this calamity is going on in the top floors of Avengers Mansion, in a different part of the mansion, Vision is off really trying to find himself. We see here into the mine and what's going on inside of Vision. Vision comes to the conclusion that Ultron had planted this command into his subconscious that if he was ever destroyed, he should go and reclaim Ultron's head and build him a new body. So basically, Ultron has made himself a backup plan. And since Ultron's a robot, very literally a backup plan. But here we see Vision struggling with the idea that am I only what Ultron made me. At one point, he describes Ultron as my master and then asks himself, why do I still think of him as my master? Why do I do this? And that's the point at which he realizes that Ultron has implanted this command within him. 
While I will agree that Vision's conclusion makes sense here, at the same time, it's a little bit too simple an explanation, and Vision comes to that explanation, that conclusion, a little bit too quickly. He answers the question almost before he's done asking the question. It's like he already knew what had happened and what he was doing before he ever did it. So the question then becomes, why did he do it? And I think that's the question that Vision is really wrestling with. While he comes to this conclusion, Vision's future responses, and even his current physical reaction, where he gets very worked up, he starts punching things, tells me that although he accepts this answer, that he's still not sure he believes it, and he wants to think that there is more to it, something that he can address within himself. Back on the top floor of Avengers Mansion, things are not going well for the Avengers. Goliath and Thor are unconscious, and Iron Man and Wasp are in a different room, trying to make their way into the fray. So at this point, the only person who is left is Yellow Jacket, who immediately just throws himself onto Ultron. And Yellow Jacket's mere existence further serves to enrage Ultron. I find it interesting how much Hank Pym's continued existence further enrages Ultron. At this point, Ultron is now a new creation. Although his programming is still the original programming from Ultron 5, going back all the way to Ultron 1, he really is no longer a creation of Hank Pym in most regards. And yet, he is hell-bent on Pym's destruction once Pym enters the fray. It really says a lot about Ultron, and in a strange way, it says a lot about Hank as well, given that Ultron is based on Hank's brain patterns, that Ultron is continually so hell-bent on Hank's destruction. And we've even seen that in the not-too-distant past, where Hank is involved at times in some very self-destructive behavior, right? Hank had to adopt this new persona that effectively killed his previous persona in order for him to move forward in his life. That's not a healthy thing. So Hank has some very self-loathing, self-destructive aspects to him, and obviously those have translated themselves on to Ultron. Now, many, many, many years in the future, we will see that that kind of thing is not the only thing that comes from that. Hank's love for Janet also, in a way, translates into Ultron's programming. It's a fascinating run on Mighty Avengers, if you ever get a chance to look at it. One last thing here before I move on. While Ultron and Yellowjacket are starting to fight, there is a great use of page layout, where Barry Windsor Smith uses Ultron's control stick as the separation between the panels. And interestingly enough, it's described as a single steel-lined wall panel away. It's a very fitting description of both what is going on in the story and the physical layout of the page. Very, very clever. At this point, we're back up to three Avengers facing off against Ultron because Iron Man and Wasp manage to get into the room and throw themselves into the fight. Though it's not particularly effective because Wasp really doesn't get all that involved and Iron Man's suit has been fairly substantially damaged so that he really can't use his repulsors at this point. So Iron Man, although he has some enhanced strength, is at less than his normal fighting capacity. Yellow Jacket has some abilities but is certainly not the most powerful Avenger and Wasp, although his present is not really involved in the fight. So Iron Man and Yellowjacket wrestle with Ultron for a couple of pages to no substantial conclusion when finally Ultron smashes his way out of the roof of Avengers Mansion and retreats to what we will shortly determine to be his old abandoned hideout. So as the Avengers regroup, they begin to try and figure out what the heck is going on. Really, this is the first opportunity they've had to take in a lot of this information and then try and make some sense of it. Before, it was just a fight for survival 
survival because Ultron blasted his way into the room with no warning whatsoever. So the Avengers are trying to wrap their heads around what is going on. And they begin to realize that there's probably something more going on with Vision than what it first appears. Even when Vision attacked Janet, she tells the Avengers, it was different than his normal detached coldness. He was walking around like a man in a trance, and it was abnormal even by Vision standards. So at least in their mind, something is very wrong with Vision that drove him to do this. Now, whether or not in the end Vision is beyond redemption is not yet been determined, but this is planting the seeds for the Avengers to at least be willing to accept the idea that maybe something else was going on that Vision wasn't fully in control of. So while the Avengers make their way to their Quinjet and eventually towards Ultron's headquarters, we see that Vision is already there, having left just before the Avengers started putting their heads together because Vision had a pretty good idea of where Ultron was going. Because of their connection and because Ultron is an android robot of, of sorts, in Vision's mind he's very predictable. Vision is able to get a jump start and heads towards this abandoned headquarters. Now, one thing I do want to point out here is I love how Barry Windsor Smith articulates Vision's face because it lacks a certain amount of detail and it looks a lot like Vision is wearing a mask. Now, obviously Vision is not, this is his face, but it further emphasizes the idea that Vision is not fully human, especially in a story like this where Vision himself is questioning his humanity to draw Vision in a way that doesn't make him look fully human adds to the reader's questioning of Vision's humanity as well. If Vision looked like everyone else except with just a red face, people would be a lot more willing to accept Vision as being human and that the questions that Vision is asking may not be as applicable, right? We already assume we know and understand the answers. But when you make Vision look not quite human, you reinforce that idea in the readers' minds, whether consciously or unconsciously, and you start to see them wonder, I mean, Vision doesn't look human, he's not acting human, is he really all that humor? Is he a slave to Ultron? And, you know, will he ever really become his own person? Those are both fascinating questions and important questions to this specific story. So here is a prime example of the art helping to sell and convince the reader of the plot and of the, the greater philosophical moral question of the issue. Now, as Vision is having these thoughts again, Ultron arrives, but he doesn't see Vision at first. And while Vision gets ready to confront Ultron, we see that S.H.I.E.L.D. has given the Avengers a chance to capture Vision and return the adamantium, and that since they have failed at this, S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to send what they refer to as Suicide Squad 1, which I am sure is a rip-off concept of the DC Suicide Squad, at least in name. Based on what we see later in the issue, I can't believe it's a rip-off of Suicide Squad in the literal sense. But they send this kind of squad of flunkies, if you will, because the major S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, Dum Dum Dugan and the like, are out apprehending Nick Fury. In reality, these two panels here slightly justify some panels we'll see later in the issue, but more to the point, they really just serve as a sales pitch for Shield number 14, which is apparently on sale at the same time as this issue. I get why they do some of this cross-promotional stuff, but I really hate it when they take up useful panel space just to pitch another book that really kind of detracts from the story. 
So as Vision prepares to attack and the Avengers start to arrive at Ultron's headquarters, Ultron is spending some time going through and evaluating the condition of all of his equipment. And he's pleased to find that it's all where it's supposed to be because, as he put it, he designed it to be too complex to dismantle and too durable to destroy without endangering the above population. Basically, Ultron has built this equipment such that it would either explode or cause problems, things like that, if someone tried to remove it. So Ultron would always have his equipment where he wanted it. But of course, at this point, Ultron initiates his equipment and is preparing to enact his plan to destroy Midtown Manhattan. Vision confronts Ultron, and the two are surrounded in a storm of Kirby Crackle. It's a very, very cool effect, with all of this energy just cascading around them and the two of them begin to fight as we see here again it's vision confronting ultron not the avengers and initially vision gets the upper hand but as we come to see ultron has made changes to his new body that vision is unaware of and it seems are specifically designed to deal with vision and his power set specifically at one point ultron turns himself into sheer ionic force in order to blast his way through Vision, which is kind of cool, and it strikes me as a more advanced version of Vision's own phasing ability, but one that's specifically designed so that Vision can't counter it. And so now Vision is actually suffering a similar effect to that which he inflicted on the guard and onto Wasp last issue, and he's kind of writhing on the ground in pain as Ultron once again makes an escape. So as Vision comes to, he is confronted by this Suicide Squad 1 that S.H.I.E.L.D. has sent. As he tries to explain what has happened, he is attacked and stopped from interfering with Ultron. The Avengers, elsewhere in Ultron's headquarters, are surrounded by the debris of the recent fight between Ultron and Vision, when suddenly all of this debris disappears and it's converted into energy. Suddenly, Yellowjacket realizes that a chain reaction has begun and that Ultron is a mere switch pull away from destroying New York City. That's where we're going to leave off this issue. Overall, this is still a really good issue, though I don't think it's quite as strong as last issue. The art is still amazing. Towards the end of the issue, Barry Windsor Smith uses a series of four panel pages to convey this wide sweeping action instead of something like a nine panel like an Alan Moore would use that's very controlling of time. Barry Windsor Smith gives us these four panel pages that give us glimpses into the fight and let us use our imagination to fill in the rest of the fight. It's an effective way of covering a fight without having to choreograph every single punch. In a lot of ways, because our imagination is often more grand than what they can show on the page, it causes the reader to think the fight is more grand than it is really shown. So we get this epic battle between Ultron and Vision for a couple of panels. Having said that, the issue is definitely a middle act, and in order to really kind of settle into its place, we need the third act. We need the final issue, which we will get next issue. It's not a bad cliffhanger, though it's a little bit vague. Initially, in part because of 
you know, when this book is written. I had assumed it was some kind of nuclear threat, but the chain reaction, converting all the debris into energy kind of stuff, makes me start to doubt that it's actually a nuclear threat, or this is just one of the more terrible uses of nuclear power that we've seen. One of the, the more fanciful, if you will. But otherwise, this issue was, it was a lot of fun to read. It adds more to the Ultron-Vision relationship. There are points in this issue where Vision is very much questioning who he is and then deciding that he has evolved beyond the basic weapon that Ultron created. Moments I thought are very powerful for a character like Vision where he is starting to take ownership of who he is and again like I mentioned last week he is starting to define himself beyond his initial creation and beyond his definition as being a a weapon of Ultron. There's more to Vision than that. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Next week, we are going to be taking a look at Avengers number 68, and we battle for the Earth. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.